Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. I want to make a quick follow-up to the last episode, the top albums of 2018, and just say that it was a musical Christmas in our house. I told my family I was a little behind on, on new releases, and they hooked me up big time. So albums that I had not yet heard that came out in 2018 that were fantastic. I got Alessia Cara, Jack White, Paul McCartney, and First Aid Kit. Quality releases from all of them. I mentioned at the end of that episode that my next guest was the punk rock band Iced from here in Eugene. And that episode is coming. We had it planned for New Year's Day. And New Year's Eve, I got a call from my good friend Nate Allen out of Kansas City, formerly of Portland, formerly of San Francisco, formerly of Roseburg, Oregon. And we have a long history since 2001, and he's about to drop a new album, uh, not as Destroy Nate Allen, which as most of you are familiar with, but under a different project that's just some really solo, personal songs. It's called Good Saint Nathaniel. So his new album, Hide No Truth, is out in February, and we're going to talk about it here. Nate, how's it going? Pretty good. I'm, <clears throat> yeah, I guess it's uh, clearing my throat season, but I'm doing really well. <laughs> um, it is currently New Year's Eve, and uh, everyone's feeling reflective. Did you cross some things off your list this year that you wanted to do? Uh, I, I crossed a lot off my list this year. Um, it's been a really productive year uh, artistically, and so I'm... I'm looking at 2019 as like getting to launch a bunch of stuff that I had to check off my list. So, it's, uh, good. Yeah, it's good. Been good. Now, for those who don't know, you and I have been good friends for a number of years. I think we started playing shows together in 2001. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it was the Riversdale Grange show like a week after 9-11 or something? It was like right... For sure, yeah. Around that time? My band at the time, like we had artwork with planes and bombs and we altered the artwork. Uh, yeah. To release the CD like that day. A lot there. of bands had a dilemma at that moment with what your art was saying. And, you know, it's strange to think about now, but it, it was such a little bubble where... Everyone was, I mean, prior to any of the conspiracy stuff, you know, it was just everyone was feeling super like together and, and, you know, patriotism was high and it was weird, you know, like you, even like in the punk communities, you know, like, um, we had a song, my band had a song, we were in high school and it was called fuck America. And we changed the name of the song to we, the people. We didn't change any of the lyrics. It was the same <laughs> lyrics. Yeah. And it was yeah. still it was still a line from a hook of the song, but we didn't feel like we could say that. And I I cut the movie quote that was gonna be in it. Interesting. You know. Um that came out, I think, in January oh two. Um and yeah, so like that changed. I remember Anthrax changed their name because Interesting. Of, uh, what did they change you know, it to that, for a while? I don't remember. It was short lived, but I mean that's how crazy that yeah, time was. It, I um, mean I definitely remember where I was. I was working at a gas station at the time. And uh, it was trippy because they raised the gas prices two times that day because they had to have the highest gas prices in town. Um, wow. 
just affecting everything in a really weird way. Amongst all of the craziness around us, you know, when people were not really, you know, there wasn't a lot of music, there wasn't a lot of comedy, you know, um, you were still hosting bands like crazy back then. Um, when did you start Rock for Reason and, and, and promoting shows back then? I think it was like June 2002. So that's that's when like my promoter hat got squarely put on and I ran that for a while. Is that one of those things like, you know, in my case, I was always that dude who, there's always one person who's in a band and you are making music and you're starting to pick up some steam and it's like, well, one guy always has to go, well, let's book the recording time. Let's book the shows. You know, let's rent the Grange. Let's buy a PA. You know, did, did you find yourself that you were that dude and oh, it was just kind of an extension of that? I'm, I'm, I'm always that dude. Uh, I mean, still, I, I think that like somehow, I think I was, my 17th birthday, I threw my first concert. And so like that was 98. Um, and I kind of stumbled into it on accident. Um, I I went to this festival called Tom Fest and met a bunch of punk bands who said they'd come and play for gas money, and it just blew my mind. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it was the concept was just so foreign. I remember when I heard it for the first time, because uh, I just figured I knew, only knew rock and roll as a big entity. And so I came home and told my mom, and she was like, "I just she just I don't know she just went behind my back and called these bands and invited them to play my birthday party." really yeah and so like a couple days later i get a my mom's like hey so i booked uh i brought these these bands are coming to play your birthday party you're gonna find a space right <laughs> and i was like uh i yeah i, I can figure that out and so i, I made fo some phone calls uh and we had like 100 kids show up uh, that's crazy did you did you have to rent a place or did no, you do I, it like I, a I backyard a, show a friend who's church had access to a random room in a gymnastics studio i mean it was a great show it was by far one of the uh well i mean it was a great show in attendance uh the first band killed it called the buildings i think you might have run into them back in the day um, sounds familiar they were like the kings of the salem corvallis philomath non-portland punk scene i mean i remember uh, salem having lum and the dead unknown yeah this, and... this would have been a handful of years before that um yeah when we met caleb was playing in a band called left waiting which you might have played shows with yeah um, yeah okay so like yeah they came down and um they were great everybody loved them and then the band after them was called shorthanded they were ended up being on tooth and nail later but like huh. the, the power cut out and so <laughs> there was like three people for the end of the show um, oh, so you blew a circuit and it... Yeah, I, I mean... mean I, did you recover? No, we didn't know how to get the power back on. They played, like, Unplugged the rest of the night. Oh, no. Uh, and uh, it's still, like, I still remember it because, I mean, as a 17-year-old kid, this band kept playing even though they had no power, and I sat on the stage and just soaked in the moment. And uh, I think any time that we play a show that's not got great attendance, I remember, like, that show changed my life with, like, three people at it. I mean, um, I think those shitty early shows are such a blessing, you know? Yeah. Like, whenever we're uh, on the road somewhere and let's say we're doing a sound check, you know, I'll put on my track for a second 
and I'll be like, you know, a little more of the drums, a little more of the drums. Okay, check, check. All right, thanks, man. And he's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you did you need more from me? I'll give you more. You know. And guys look at you like, what? What? You don't? Um. I was like, you don't understand like how I was trained. Yeah, to yeah. Do this. You know. I mean, we were in the shittiest circumstances. Like you said. Oh yeah, we're playing in a in a gymnastics hall. I mean, and that's not weird no, back then. No. I mean, it was so whatever you can find it di- didn't necessarily even mean it, it was ever going to happen at that place again yeah, you know yeah. it was just like we bounced around wherever we could figure it out we borrowed PAs we got so and so's parents to sign the waiver yeah. you know for the insurance and you know and we just kind of winged it and i really feel like that was lucky to um to to witness and take part in so much of that totally later in life when i'm touring and and you know running into these small shows or whatever you know you get people after the set to come up and i'm sure you've experienced this where they're like i have never seen someone play like that in a room with four people (laughs) in my life you know like you were you were playing like there was an arena in front of you yeah you know for for fucking you know, three people and the bartender, you know, and they're like, how, how the fuck, you know? And it's like, cause we, cause we started in, in basements and in living rooms and, you know, garages and granges and lesion halls and those types of things where it was just an intimate experience. And it was just a face to face, no stage. We are here together in this moment sort of thing. Totally. I think it's, I mean, for me, it was incredibly shaping, like, I feel like I took all those those lessons from the early our early years and just like applied them to playing acoustic music and nobody was ready for like somebody to try to play acoustic music like they're in a hardcore band cuz I'm like I like the intimacy and the, the energy let's let's take it. <laughs> well yeah, I think that's that's kind of your signature and when you started doing that more, I'm sure you noticed it but I noticed a lot of people trying to figure that out for themselves as well you know there were there were there was a little bit of a, a nate allen bandwagon for a minute you know in people trying to to do that and I, I think it's interesting how you and i our most notable work you know at this period in our lives is not punk music though yeah. it's strongly informed by punk music totally well i feel like it's, it's a set of ethics that puts an imprint on you like whether you like it or not, if you spend enough time around punk rock, you, you it just kind of marks your life. To me, I always gravitated towards it because it was very much just being unapologetically true to yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, and, and not necessarily relying on the rest of the world and, and what's happening at that moment to guide you, you know, and just kind of taking control of your own life in your own situation. I mean, I think that that's, that was basically what we were doing. It's not that we all had the same sound or something that we were chasing. I mean, you threw a lot of shows for hardcore bands when, um, that is like the furthest from, (laughs) you know, your style of music. Yeah, for sure. I I like hardcore, but it definitely, I mean, I, every time I've tried to be in a hardcore band, I've lasted one practice because it just like, it wasn't, (laughs) wasn't me. Uh, the fastest way to break up a hardcore band is to ask me to join. Um, You're like, I'm I'm just not that angry guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) I just can't do it. Uh, that just reminded me of a, a ridiculous story. So years ago we were on tour in, uh, Indiana and 
like the DIY scene in Indiana and the, the scene we grew up in are like very, very different. So I was always an outsider there because they didn't know me like like people would in Oregon. Um, and so they always thought we were like a, this dramatic theatrical band. So they decided to throw a goth night <laughs> to have us play. And so it was really awkward because people I'd known for years like were, were like not talking to me and acting goth uh, like super socially awkward. Uh, what they didn't know is that Tessa loves goth dancing. And so she just basically pulled them all into their own joke. And we didn't know it was a prank till years later. And they're like, we couldn't believe that you guys took us seriously when we were trying to throw a goth party. <laughs> Cause there's a bunch of like punk rock dudes. And we're like, well, we just were taking you at face value, which you guys were all dressed up fun. So we had fun with you. <laughs> I love that. You've played so many shows that you can just whip out a story of one that was booked sarcastically. <laughs> <laughs> there's the, there's a, about every type at this point, I think, that I can uh, name an emotion. There's some sort of show for it. It is unique about your performance that you do have the ability to adapt to any sort of environment. I mean, I've seen you play at punk and hardcore shows i've seen you play at folk you know singer songwriter house shows i've seen you play it you know uh bigger events all ages just all all different kinds of environments and another thing that i feel like we learned in those days is that the stage and the sound system aren't as critical sometimes as what you're putting out there, the authenticity, the heart that you're putting into it. And many times back then, kind of like you mentioned at, at your your birthday party show, you know, the sound goes out and they keep playing. But I mean, I remember uh, when we would play with Countdown to Life and everyone had played on the stage and then they would come up and set up their stuff on the ground in front of the stage um, and then kind of push back the people in the pit and then Danny would grab the microphone that would obviously need the PA. But the rest of the band was just, you know, everyone was on the ground and we were face to face. And so much of what you guys do, I feel like kind of supersedes the 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 traditional box that we're stuck in. Totally. And even at a big show, you guys take that countdown to life thing. Oh, totally. You you'll you'll take all the energy down to the middle of the room you'll walk out there in the middle of everybody you know and it's something that you know i've always done even rapping and stuff and people think is uh sometimes <laughs> odd to give in the crowd or sometimes really fun yeah, yeah. The crowd, you know did you ever see they, they did one show with like uh, maybe maybe there was 30 people there for at um i think it was riversdale grange yeah uh but there was like they turned their whole all their gear and faced it into a corner and Backwards. then yeah made the band, made the crowd get into this little tiny space and uh yeah. i remember asking them why they did that and they're like oh we're trying to shrink the room and make it feel like they're like having a good time and i'm like it was just mine yeah like how many times have you played let's say um you, you know you play at a bar and you're on the stage and it's a long room and the bar is at the other end of the room and so there's a congregation of people basically in the back of the room and you're like man there's 
a perfect amount of people here to <laughs> yeah, make yeah. an awesome time. And yet the layout, just the simple architecture of this place is making it impossible for me to get everyone into this, you know. And they, yeah, they, they reversed that and they flipped it on its head. Totally. I mean, I feel like every time that I'm asking to play in a smaller space than the presented, it's because I'm trying to shrink the room and take that ethic and apply it. It's really funny how people get really weirded out by that. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're used to, I mean, a lot of people don't necessarily go to local shows. They're more accustomed to, oh, Metallica's coming through, you know, oh, Lady Gaga's coming through. You know, they get their tickets. They're either sit sitting up in the place, looking down on the show, or they're on their big railing. You know, there's 10 feet between them and the stage and security guards there and whatever. And so there's a sort of detachment from the performer in almost every, you know, major scale. Yeah, yeah, you know, for sure. On a, on a larger scale, a major label situation, you know. And so it can be really disarming in a good way. Or, I mean, I've seen people, <laughs> uh, like I toured with this guy named Zach HB a couple times and... He was really he would get up like close enough to kiss you yeah, yeah. when he was when he was rapping. But he was very um he wasn't aggressive with his music. He was very it was kind of smooth, mellow, fun. I mean, he's a yoga teacher. He's that kind of vibe, <laughs> nice. right? But he would kind of slide in and out of the crowd and get that close to you. And I remember at one show we did, uh, this dude I've known since like high school, uh was like, what is wrong with that guy? I was ready to punch him in his fucking face. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. He's, uh, he's just trying to engage with everyone, make some eye contact, you know, like, like, like make sure we're all here in this together, yeah. you know. He's like, I don't care. I was ready to knock him through that wall. I was like, dude, it's okay. He's not going to touch you. He's not going to do anything. Man, that, that makes me think of one of my uh, favorite least favorite moments on tour <laughs> years ago we were in new jersey and um so I'll, I'll rally whoever we have and then sometimes uh i would take him into like another room to get him to get everybody else um to care and uh i climbed up on this bar at the court tavern in uh new brunswick new jersey and um <clears throat> like there was some guy that was mad at me for blocking his monday night football game <laughs> which I, I get I like sports so I was like okay I'll move that's fine and uh, I'm doing my little white flag sing-along thing and uh yeah and I crouched down like a like a catcher in a baseball game right in front of this dude and I'm trying to get him to sing along and I mean the whole room I mean it's a tiny room with 20 people screaming lyrics so it's getting really loud and uh yeah. and the guy just like reaches out and he just grabs my balls <laughs> like oh and uh and I don't know what to do and so I just like lunge at him and uh so wait, so he's just holding on. He's just on. holding on. <laughs> I just lunge at him and we just knocked down like I think it was three or four chairs came tumbling down as everybody rushes in to catch us. And the whole time he's just <laughs> screaming, I just grabbed this guy's balls. I just grabbed this guy's balls. Like he couldn't believe he did it because uh <laughs> like I'd gotten so close to him, he like it just kinda like triggered something in his brain where like he just kind of lost his impulse control. <laughs> That's hilarious. It was so funny. I mean, I sold him a CD later. It wasn't even like strange. It was just like, <laughs> like, you know, sometimes you think like, I'm going to throw a rock through a window and you normally don't because it's, it'd get you in trouble. I think he just like lost his impulse control uh, for a second. 
That's funny, man. I, I actually will say that that not being a, a person who is, let's say, uh, athletic <laughs> or strong physically, um, that's always a move that I've appreciated. Um, I remember when, uh, God, we were in EPD back in the day, like, you know, 17, 18 years old, and Kroz came up and uh, snuck up behind me and put me in a headlock. <laughs> And, you know, I couldn't do anything. My arms were at my sides. He's behind yeah. me. Uh, and then I was like, oh, my arms are at my sides. And so I just <laughs> grabbed a handful and squeezed. You know, he dropped to the ground, and uh, and I got myself out yeah. of that situation. Was it necessary? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> However, I was just trying to be resourceful in the moment because I am not strong enough to overpower the man. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm really good at the... Uh throwing myself on top of somebody and to restrain them to stop a fight. I don't really have the, the regular skills to, to, to stop that sort of thing, which is kind of funny. The fact that you close the dude on the album later is amazing. I mean, sometimes you got to get gas money. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. So um, take me back to uh, w when did you start playing up until when you started this solo project, Destroying Eight Allen. Okay. Uh, I started writing when I was 15 uh, so songs. Um, I had my heart broken by a girl and a song came out instead of a journal entry. Um, it was like the best gift ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that just set off this this massive spill of words. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure how many I wrote, but I still got a giant box of words I wrote then. And these are these are lyrics, or these are lyrics and music. These are lyrics. I, there was no, there was like melody in my head, but I didn't know how to play an instrument. Um, okay. Probably actually like two or three months before you met me, maybe four months, I started playing guitar. Jeez, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I was I I basically like figured out how to play a power chord and I just kind of went to town. Huh. So, I mean, I, I actually looked through a bunch of demos the other day and I'm like, man, I recorded like, there's like six demos or something that are like five to 10 to 20 songs in this box that I'd forgotten about. And that was all kind of right around when you met me. Now, what was the name of that band that you were playing with at the time? I don't remember. Miles Mouthguard. Miles Mouthguard. Yeah. So that was, that was the first time I recorded. I mean, I was so fresh that I recorded my guitar parts in the room with the drummer uh, because I didn't yeah. have any rhythm and he was like my click track so we just set an amp way down the hall with really long cables and we actually recorded on 9-11 it was the craziest oh weird it was the first first day I ever hit record like on a I think maybe even in my life I'm not even sure was was on 9-11 who records on a Tuesday <laughs> I'm not really sure how that worked out. I think we recorded maybe after school for the rest of the guys because it was in the evening. Um, oh, okay. Like we, so I was like, what high school band is like, all right, so after lunch, was, we're going to head down to the studio. I was out of high school. I was a one year, like just a few months out. And then everybody else in my band, uh, which was Tyler from Insomniac Folklore. And, uh, our, oh, no shit. Yeah, we, we were totally in our first couple bands together. At, at what point do you decide that the best format for you is going to be playing solo and, and no longer playing electric or with a band. It, it was completely by default. Um, early on, I mean, from 
I started playing really serious solo in like 2004. Um, and I was in San Francisco at the time and I was just trying to put a band together and no, I couldn't find anybody to show up to a practice or, um, or that was willing to, to just be all in or even like halfway in. And, uh, I just was like, well, if I can play acoustic shows, <laughs> that's the, like the default, um, which was for me because I was from a punk rock, loud rock and roll was in my blood. It was really a default. I was just like, okay, fine. I'll just play acoustic shows. <laughs> and So, I mean, how long were you... Because, I mean, if, if at that point you're already um, kind of just making that call, yeah. it seems like the album must have come together, I mean, really fast. Well, I mean, so there's... There's two um, there's two kind of seasons. There's the season where I'm like, okay, I'm an acoustic guy uh, by default, and it was really like Johnny Cash, Social Distortion ish, um, really not notable at all. Um, but it was really just power chords on acoustic guitar. Uh, and then, so I'd been there like a year, and I started dealing with some pretty serious depression, and I ended up quitting music. Uh, in 2005 probably a year we weren't really talking much um and out of that year came like these new songs and i wanted a new band name to like signify that it wasn't just the same nate allen who wrote social distortion ripoff songs um <laughs> and so we came up with the idea of destroy nate allen because the dot com was available um <laughs> and so i like bought the domain i'm like i got a band name now and and so it was kind of more of i mean it started as i'd say indie folk or quiet folk music and so that was 2006 that that record got done so this that was a waco sleeper yeah you you say that about writing knockoff songs or whatever that you weren't stoked with but honestly i was just starting to get into you know the johnny cash american recordings vault that that was one thing that i loved about your music to be honest well thank you <laughs> I, I i still like love that i was actually uh the record i've got coming up soon i think for the first time in a long time for me it has i i liken it to the johnny cash era because it's got some a similar heaviness to it i don't think sonically yeah. it sounds that similar at all but i think like there's just an emotional heaviness to it that i think that's one of the few places i find it Yes, that's some of the most moving music. Yeah, I feel like you to can me that exists just, is is the, those later albums. Yeah, it just is. moves 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 you in such a immediate, forceful way. And I guess because of that, um, you know, we wound up playing some shows a little bit in that new context yeah. where, you know, this day's end was not. Uh, it was kind of falling apart for me, and I started playing some acoustic stuff and writing my own solo album, and um, you were doing yours at the same time. Um, I remember I played a, a, a small part in your life in the way that you had played in mine and getting me some of my first out-of-town shows yeah, yeah. and whatever, in kind of helping you get this uh, recording set up <laughs> around the time I had just started Take 92 myself. Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and this board, I'm actually it, recording on it right now, was like the... Uh, it was like the one piece that I had to get till I could figure out how to record myself. I, I remember I, I was must have been on some sort of deadline, but uh, I wanted to get it as soon as it came out into the Guitar Center like universe. And uh, 
you called me as soon as they had it in the warehouse in San Francisco, and I, I bought it from you over the phone, and then showed up showed <laughs> up at their front desk, and I was like, I've got I need to buy the Korg D eight eight eight, and they're like, we don't have that. I'm like, yeah, you do. It's in your warehouse. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. Here's the will call. Yeah, receipt. they went and got it, and they're like, why did what? I'm like, oh, I've got a friend in Oregon. There's no sales tax. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they were really shocked. That's, but I mean, gosh, the thing still works as long as I remember how to use it. Yeah, I, I love that you still have it. Um, it's still in like mint condition. I've I've kept it in the case the entire time. It's like the only thing I own like that. Well, and I was thinking, just as you were telling that story, um, did I also sell you an Epiphone guitar at you some did. point? That's actually downstairs on my wall still, because I beat it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I wasn't thinking. I was trying to think about like all the great things to look for, and you know, in an acoustic at that price range or whatever. And I wasn't thinking like Nate beats the fuck well, out of his I guitars. Didn't yet. <laughs> I, I totally was like, I mean, I I would say that that tour, um, I started as the quiet guy in the corner, and in, in retrospect, I actually had pneumonia, so I was the extra quiet guy in the corner. Um, and by the end of it, I was the guy that would throw a guitar across the club if you weren't paying attention to him to like get your attention. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was such a transformative thing. I, um, I remember the first time I, I hit a guitar with my hand and found out it was made really loud noise. Yeah. You're like a, a guitar player slash percussionist. Yeah. It's just a know. percussionist. I mean, it's a percussion instrument at that point. Like there wasn't, I mean, I played shows where the guitar didn't make any noise and it didn't matter. It still, it became a thing, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I killed that guitar, and it's hanging on my wall because it's got a it's got a special place in my heart. I took parts of it and put it on another master built because I still love them. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, that was that was like such a that was a really key moment to like have a guitar that I liked. Um, they're still probably my favorite acoustics that I ever have owned. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So tell me, how many records did you make in that early period where Destroy Nate Allen was just you? And six strings. I made two f proper full lengths, and there's a gap right before the first album came out that I put out like four or five other songs. There are collections that I would call not full lengths because they only had nine songs on them. Um, yeah. So uh, for some reason, ten songs was always a full length, and nine songs was an EP for me. Uh, <laughs> it's a something in my mind. I was always on runtime though, because like you know, DFS writes. I mean, we had sixteen songs in nineteen yeah. minutes on our last record, and we're like, dude, it's a full length. It's sixteen <laughs> songs, you know. And whereas like other times, as if you know, if I was to make a different style of music, you know, I've I've put out uh, an album a few years back, a solo album that was eight songs, but it was a solid thirty yeah. minutes of music. So it's like, well. It can go either way well, for me. I think me. that that rule I, I've had to abandon. The new record I have coming up is nine songs in forty two minutes. So yeah, it's like, see? That's like a I full finally length. was like, yeah, I'm like it's totally a full length, but it's just not that many songs. <laughs> just in the back of your head, you're like, I'm still, I feel like I'm selling you yeah, short, yeah, man. Still, you gotta have more. <laughs> man. I think that was the early impetus for like releasing a bunch of records. Is I had this idea that somebody had to have something new to buy, so I just put out a new version of something every time I'd go through on tour. Well, I feel like that's really important is is when you hit the same regions with any frequency at all, you want to make sure that they don't come to the same show totally over and over, you know, and that they have something 
new and exciting to walk away with, whether that's a cool new t-shirt design with a robot rescuing kitties <laughs> from the ocean. That's still one of my favorite shirts that I have. <laughs> or whether that's, you know, um, some re-recorded songs that are different or a whole brand new project. I mean, I think that that's, that's something that you and I have always considered very to- important totally. when we're touring. I think that was my, like... I mean, I've put out a lot of records at this point, and that was that was a drive for a long time. It's like, okay, I've got to have a new record. Um, I would love to be able to actually have to repress something because I've always made a thousand or a couple hundred and then never made it again. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I have people asking about, oh, when are you going to re-release? I'm like, I, I got a new one to, to pay for, <laughs> Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, come on. Like, I only got so much money. Like, I, don't you want my new record? Yeah. It's, it's best. It's better. Yeah, exactly. I swear, I worked harder on it. I remember really, really enjoying those first couple albums. And, oh, actually on a tangent, I have to mention, one of the house shows we did around that time, we played with a dude, and I think my solo album had just come out. We played with a dude from Philly named John Mallory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that I, guy? Did you ever see him I again? I did. We, that was part of like a three or four show tour for us um but okay. actually no the answer to the question i've never seen him again but we were on the tour together um well i i bought his ep and i played it to death like it's in like a little cardboard sleeve yeah, yeah. and it is falling apart and i love that thing and i saw that like a little while ago he came out of retirement and made another oh, album i've been meaning to get it because um, i just that guy was such a great songwriter yeah. I and I've never seen him. I again. thought about him. I think recently too. It might have been when that the the EP or something came out. Like he popped up into my like social stream again. I was like, oh man, like it's been a long time. Yeah, this is reminding me. I need to buy that yeah, new album. Yeah, I, I need it, to um, get a hold of him too. He was really, really good. Yeah, that was like the first those first tours. I didn't have a car, so I was always riding with somebody, and he was one of like. We did we did a handful of dates and then I swapped out a car with somebody else. I remember, you know, at that time, I was really trying to be on the road with my band and my band had not felt the same and and that's why I went solo and so I was I was kind of vicariously living through your experience at that moment and I I thought it was great that you were going for it in that way, even though you didn't have, you know, a group behind you. You're like, fuck it, I'm yeah, doing yeah. it. I'm doing it on my terms, and this is this is what I want to do with my life. And I found that really inspiring. And then in the middle of all this, you got married. <laughs> and I went to your wedding, and I had recently been engaged. And I was so... My eyes were open. My perspective was changed when I went to your wedding in that it was so just specifically, authentically Nate and Tessa. It was not a regular wedding you know, that really informed my wife and I when we were planning ours and they're like, you know, maybe we can skip some of this <laughs> other traditional crap. And well, what if we bring in the Green Day song? And what yeah, if we yeah. uh, throw in the Batman theme <laughs> when we walk down the aisle? And what if we do these little things, uh, you know, just to kind of put our stamp on it? And so I, I would give you guys some oh, of the credit you. for inspiring us in that way as well. Yeah, that was a... Uh... Did you have an 800 octane play your wedding too? I did. Okay. Did they play it? No, yours? no. They. I just remember that being like. Because you said two, no, and no, I was no. like, wait, I just no, remember that like was another, our thing. another thing you had. No, we they didn't. 
But I, yeah, I remember. Yeah, we had a playing. we had like an acoustic band, you know, during the 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 main thing, and then it was like, all right, everybody had your cake. Run into the other room for eight hundred <laughs> octane. Let's get wild. Awesome. <laughs> you know, we held it at the Grange where we grew up playing shows and spending all of our time instead of, you know, at a nice place yeah. where ever, everyone else was. Which, you know, in hindsight, in my thirties, I don't know <laughs> if that was maybe the coolest thing. Definitely not the coolest thing for pictures. Yeah, but. I, uh, but it was our place. Yeah, you know? It was really nice to have a major moment like that. Feel like your own, not just like a, I don't know, if it's such a significant. And you're thing. so so did it really well, did you. and and yeah, like I said, it was it was an inspiration. So at at that point, destroy Nate Allen is no longer uh, synonymous with you, the man yeah. alone. In true to the name, you're redesigning what that means yet again. Totally. I think it was like, I had this idea that I wanted to spend a year at home, like after I got married, and uh, and Tessa was super against that idea, um, because she'd always wanted to tour, uh, and so she's like, we should just go on tour, like we'll get to like, hang out more than if we like stay home and work at work at jobs, um, and so, th- like, we're trying to kind of figure out the logistics of what does it mean to tour together and i was like well why don't you just join the band like that way you can eat every night um we don't have to have that awkward conversation i've got another person with me on tour that you need to take care of too uh my merch person yeah. um, I, I didn't want her yeah. kind of like put in that merch space uh, even though she's great great at selling merch she's so much better than i am uh but at that at that point in time she it just made sense to have her in the band so um yeah she just it completely altered how I approached creativity and the band in every way. Um, it, I mean, what is her musical background? She was she was in theater. She always said she had the best oh, non-singing okay. part in theater, so she wasn't really a vocalist. Um, <laughs> she has often said she learned to play tambourine our first year on tour and sing the second year on tour. So she was really just thrown she, into yeah. it, going like, well, this is the record I'm supporting already. Yeah. You come along. I mean, it was really just like huh, let's figure this out. And so we, I mean, at that point we developed like routine because she needed structure of sets. And so we're like, Well, and it, it should be mentioned too that if you haven't seen a Destroy Nate Allen show in any era, it's always a big sing-along. Yeah. So you already have that yeah, there. So and you're almost getting like the hype man totally. element of like, this is how it's done, yeah, folks. I Come mean, on. She really know? like, I mean, she still serves that role so well. Like, I'll go off and tune, and she'll give instructions to the band, the crowd, and then they'll it'll just be a seamless transition over and over again. Her joining really up up the theatrical, up the ability for us to like do weird stuff with the audience, and it also just turned us into much more of a punk band. I think like left to my own, I would have probably gotten more intense, but I don't know how how much I would have just started playing songs I would call punk rock. But with her, she her songwriting style is is much more influenced by like street punk bands, and uh, yeah, I mean you definitely are using faster yeah. tempos and you know more power chords and less totally. Open I mean, and that's and that's like that. really her influence. Like she's like a, I mean, I love her songwriting, but it's just so different than mine. It's like oh, let's gonna write like this this pretty fast like like goofy silly song, which I'm like, 
I mean, I don't know how close you looked at my catalog, but there's not really anything silly in it that I've written. Uh, everything that's silly in my recorded history is a song she's written. Yeah. And she just comes by it in a, in a really fun way. People will be like, oh, you're a comedy band. I'm like, well, it's actually just because her perspective is like foreign to you, <laughs> which, is, which is entertaining. Like, I'm fi- I, I totally am fine with people thinking we're a fun comedy band, but it's, it's really funny when it's like, no, she actually was really serious when she sang a song about following a recipe and cooking. Like, Totally serious. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, I remember uh, we made that record here. Totally. Again, all these little little tiny connections along the way. And I, I didn't know how to record a live acoustic thing. I think back on that record, and, and I could have done much better work <laughs> on it. I feel like it was also a transition yeah. for you guys and figuring out what the fuck you were doing together. No, totally. And, and like... It's neither of our best work necessarily, but I'm glad that we kind of figured it out to- together. Totally. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> you know? I, I felt like, I was talking to somebody the other day, because I've, I've got an archive of everything I've recorded in my basement. It's just a couple boxes of CDRs and, and more formal things. And uh, he, w- he was telling me about like his insecurities around an instrument. And I'm like, dude, there is a box there with like, hundreds of songs I've recorded and I can tell you the flaw in every one but I but I've done it and and you know out of like record enough songs every once in a while one's pretty good and you look back you're like oh that record is kind of kind of uh, whatever but oh we got a really good song out of that session yeah like oh we still play that song in the set though you know totally 10 years later I'm still playing that song but uh I could have done a little maybe I should have changed the line when I recorded the first time especially for me in terms of recording and producing, I feel like I'm really good at what I do now because of all the things that I did wrong before. Totally. (laughs) You know, like I didn't go to school for this. I learned by experimenting and doing it. And, you know, that's one of those records that I sometimes forget exists. (laughs) Cause like I, I did so many different recordings for friends back in the day. None of them sound like what I make now, but I feel like they all are the reason my things sound like uh, they do totally. now, you know. I think um do you know the band the old 97s? They're an Americana country band like one of the I mean they've been around for probably 20 years. Um they're they're really great, but their singer was just talking about like how if you really want to get good at something you have to put the 10,000 hours in to become proficient. Totally. And he's like and the big thing is is like don't quit. And I'm like, that's so key. I'm like, because along the way, you don't do everything awesome, and uh, but you get better. That's hard for me when, um, you know, you'll see some music out there. Uh, maybe it's a friend of yours or an acquaintance or, you know, it's a YouTube video. It's a SoundCloud song or something. Or maybe you see somebody opening a show and you just think, I need to leave the room. Like, this is atrocious. <laughs> And you see other people reacting to it in a very forward way. And I feel sympathetic pains for that person. And like, oh, God, like, oh, they're ripping them apart. But like, I agree with them. (laughs) But I mean, I think about this in in like, you know, you, you can look at someone and think, wow, you should really not do that. You know, you should maybe find another route yeah. for your creativity. You know, you should be a carpenter or something. Then I think back at some of the things that I've made over the years and, you know, the way people reacted to them, you know, and it's like, well, had I listened to them or had I listened to myself doubt, I wouldn't have made the really great thing later 
because that thing sucked, you know, and sometimes you just got to own your thing that sucks. Unfortunately for guys like us, all those things are public. All of our growing pains (laughs) are releases that we fucking sold to people and we traveled around playing shows (laughs) to promote it. Like up to 2006, those stuff's pretty hard to find if you don't live in Oregon and Roseburg, but the rest of it is, uh, it's so public, like every single mistake. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's such a trip. But I'm glad that we went through all that because, you know, we're, we're stronger writers, we're stronger performers, better producers, we're more resilient artists all around because of those things. I mean, there's still elements I'd love to go back and change, but I'm like, oh, I'm so, like, even on moments where where it felt like it might not have been worth it, like, I can look back and be like, I learned something really important there. You know, with something uh, along the lines of we talked about a, a reissue of past projects and something that I've done, I've really resisted Spotify and the streaming sites because, you know, I have strong feelings about that dating back to the burnable CD and yeah, Napster yeah. and Kazaa and Morpheus and all that stuff. And I've always felt this way. And if someone hands me a burned CD of somebody, oh, have you checked this out? I'm like, uh, and I'll listen to it, <laughs> and then I will go and buy it if I like it, you know. And if I yeah. don't like it, then um, then I consider that like a trial or something. But I don't, you know, I don't just take that thing and then listen to that until the end of time because I feel like yeah. I want that artist to keep uh, paying their rent and keep touring and keep making music for me to enjoy, you know. And so. Totally. I've always had that feeling around streaming as well. But the opportunity that it's now afforded me is because I'm late to the game and I'm now putting up some of my past releases. Nice. I am able to pull up those old projects and I completely remixed and remastered uh, Famous Last Words and I put that up recently on Spotify and I've also gone back and remixed uh, Vacant Eyes, the whole album, and I've remixed about half of Bears Repeating. And I'm able to kind of take those albums from, you know, the performances in that time that I was then, but yeah. but at least clean it up a little bit and make it sound more presentable for the people who are going to be listening on their phones or, or whatever, their Bluetooth totally. devices, you know. And so I, I'm a little... A little begrudgingly grateful for that opportunity <laughs> because it's not every day that you get to kind of rewrite history in that way. Oh, man. I, I There's a few spots that I would love to rewrite. And, uh, and the two in particular, I've, I've contacted both the people and they, they lost the hard drives. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, ah, oh, dang it. It's, there's no way I can like, like, I just didn't finish that. I didn't know it. Um, but... There's definitely a period um, uh, in recent years where I started using a backup hard drive. (laughs) And then there's a period prior to that where everything's (laughs) gone. (laughs) No, I I just, with the new record, I I had a a long day where I got all the files. um, So that if I end up needing to change something later, I have the spots uh, everything in a few places that's smart man like, um i mean we've we've been at this a long time and we don't plan on stopping soon so it's good <laughs> to have access to all that stuff later yeah i'm like this is all important i know i don't know if i'll ever use it but if somebody like if somebody good enough says hey i want to affect that record I'm, i'll hand it to them i can do it now totally well you did how many records now that were 
Nate and Tessa as DNA prior to uh, Good Saint Nathaniel? I'd say half a dozen is probably a decent number. Yeah. Um, it was every, every year for a while. Um, we did that every year up to 2012. We had a new record. That's that's so, that's an accomplishment for as much time as you spend on the road, especially. Well, I mean, I think the the real like we've talked about this a little bit, but I mean, I'm I'm a workaholic, uh, and I can be when I'm unchecked. I'm I'm a I'm pretty bad, and so like I wasn't just that's why I like you. Know, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I I mean, I'm also like a third generation timber worker from Southern Oregon, so like I, work ethic is like in my blood. Yeah, uh, but unchecked work ethic can get a little bit crazy and uh and so i was also like going to school full-time and making these records like in the evening or whenever i could um so it was just like a a non-stop pace uh as much effort and work as i could shove into a little corner i would now Um, when did you move to kansas city 2013 okay because i was i was thinking back to what I believe our last show together would have been on my first Illusionist tour in 2011. Uh, would that have that, been that Portland House show? Portland House show. Uh, you were there, and uh, uh, Spinelli from Compact 56, uh, he came up and played a song with me, and um, I forget who else, but that was, yeah, that was a really fun night. Yeah. That was a fun house. Um and uh, and so, what was the the genesis of the move? Because you've always been, at the very least, if not an Oregon person, a West Coast person. Yeah. And now you're well, out in uh, Kansas City. Totally. We, I mean, uh, for the, back to the workaholic thing, I just I, I was kind of at a burnout pace, and I was a burnout pace, and we were living off Tessa's like tax money that she could make, and I, I really wanted to like build a reset us. Um, to where it was just more sustainable. Um, So I got some work out here, and then her tax business took off. So we're like, well, I guess we kind of just got to, we're here now. We didn't have another move in us. We were just too tired. I guess I gave you a little bit of a leading question, though, because I I remember a conversation that there was some strategy in the placement in that you were going, well, I have been touring all these years from up against this wall of the Pacific Ocean. And it seems that we are going to be able to cover a lot more ground if totally. I am from I mean, the I'm, middle of the country. Is that not a I'm eight, motivation? Oh, no, totally motivation. It's I'm eight hours from, like, many, many places. Um, I can weekend in Chicago or Dallas. Like, it's not, not the same weekend, but I can totally do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did South by Southwest on, like, it's basically a long weekend. That's uh, nuts. Which is crazy. I'm like, oh, I can just drive down there. Like, I'll rent a car and, like, drive two days, and I'm, I'm there. Um so yeah, that that was really like it, it really changed how we toured because we used to have to do these like six month, four month massive trips because like we have family on the East Coast or Tessa does. Yeah. So like if we get like halfway across the country, her parents are like, are you going to come see us? And like it's kind of a, a jerk move to say no. Um, so we just would always work that in. So it's like, well, if we're driving away across the country and we're not going to be total idiots about it, we need to like try to play a show every couple hundred miles um so being in, in kansas city it's like we just we, we do a lot of like oh we're, we're playing a show in minneapolis and we're gonna fill in a few gaps along the way and we got a really good offer in chicago so let's also play like southern illinois and like st louis um so it's, it's kind of like shifted us into like 
a band that plays weekends or sh- like a couple weeks on tour, which is something that I was always really horrible at when I lived on the West Coast. Like, I mean, I it's, didn't really it's know so hard. More medium ground. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, from my experience, the first tour I did with The Illusionist was six weeks long, and we went all the way out to, like, you know, Arkansas and up to Chicago, and, you know, we covered 19 states in that period of time. But, like, if I am to go out and cover Texas or cover Minneapolis, where my label is based, and things like that, if I want to get to those places, that's so much traveling Totally. To get there at all, that I have to book a number of shows on the way to pay for it, and a number of shows on the way back to pay for it. So, you know, you wind up with these gargantuan tour routes just to go and cover. Oh, I need to get back to you know Phoenix and El Paso and Albuquerque, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and and that area. It's been too long, but okay. Well, that's going to take me three weeks at minimum, and to me. I like touring, but I'm very much a homebody, stick to my routine. So, like, I, I learned that uh, I can be happy for about two weeks, and I can be productive for about three, and then after that, um, I kind of get a little introverted and depressed. And so, gotcha. <laughs> um, and so, I've tried to stick to that, like, kind of 18 to 23 days for a long time nice. now and i find that that's kind of my sweet spot of cool. of still being able to to cover some ground and put on a really great show but there's only so many places i can hit i mean all of these tours you know 16 17 tours something like that in these last few years and i've never played in philly or new york city yeah. or Tampa or DC or, you know, I've never played East coast period. Yeah. Yeah. Because of my location. So I, I think that that probably was a great move, even though I haven't seen you in yeah. fucking forever. I, I think know. it's probably it's a, a good move. <laughs> it's, it's it, from a logistics and business standpoint. It's, it's so it's, it's like, I'm, we're a bigger fish in a smaller pond here. So like, like I can, I mean, I was just getting, telling people about my new thing and I'm like, I emailed a bunch of people that are like heads of local radio stations and I'm like, Oh, they write me back. Cause I know them cause it's not the biggest city. That's awesome. Uh, well, and and, I'm like and that pe- actually like it, it's, it's a lot, it's more sustainable that way. Well, and people will say, God, you've been doing this so long. You've been putting out the records, putting in the work, you know, why don't you move to Seattle or Nashville or LA or Austin or one of these, you know, big hub places. But like really, um, why do I want to go to the biggest line and put myself yeah. in the back of it when I've carved out a home for myself here and a name for mm. myself? Totally. You know, but I think for you to do that and go to not one of those uh, most famous hub cities to to, yeah. to rebuild is really smart because you can much easier establish yourself again and have access to those uh, regional resources you know yeah i mean it's it's like the line i mean we're definitely moved here and had experience getting in the back of the line for some years but like i mean it's it's a couple million people in the whole metro area but like the music community is small enough that if i go out to the same like scene a couple days in a row i'll have met all the key players yeah um it's just like oh that's actually like that's the guy that runs the club okay cool i know him so tell me about the change in you started writing solo under good saint nathaniel and 
to me, I have such a hard time wrapping my head around changes in any capacity in life. <laughs> and like, you know, I mentioned my friend Zach HB who likes to rap in people's faces. We did some tours together and then he wanted to change his name. And I was like, why the fuck? You just spent all this time <laughs> building up this one and you, okay. And then, um, you know, with, uh, with DNA, you guys... Um, you know, you started solo, you became the duo, um, but you're still playing from that, that early catalog and building onto it. Yeah, yeah. And then now you're writing solo again and not using that name that you've, that you've put in all these uh, many, many yeah. hours and many miles on. And so I'm, I'm curious as to why you felt that you couldn't continue the name for these projects. Yeah. Well, um... So I think it came down to kind of a logistics and branding question. Um, Tessa has always had a kind of, she's always pointed out that, that, that we have two types of songs. We have the songs where I'm lonely and quiet, and we have the songs that we write together, which are loud and punk rock. Yeah. And so like, she's always thought that people didn't necessarily know what they're going to get with us. And, and I always kept writing more and more and more quiet songs. And I write about 50 songs to her one at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, she's been like, you need to go have a solo project, like go have a solo project. Cause I just can't keep up. Um, and she needed a break. So like, we were like kind of mulling over, like in 2013, I tried to do a solo project. Um, and that became my album was the Packaway Dots. Uh, yeah. But that wasn't really like, that's a good record by the way. The, I mean, the, I, I the, like it. The band was cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the record. Um, it just, I kind of like, I, in my brain, I want to have like a rock band. I want to have a silly duo and I want to have a solo project that's like serious. Yeah. And so it made sense to have three different projects to me. So like, I figure if I'm going to have a band that sounds like the briefs in the future, it's probably going to be the Packway Dots. Yeah. Um, and if I have a, a band that, I mean, I want to throw weird, crazy theatrical shows that climb on your table and get too close to you. Uh, Destroyed and Allen fits that space. And so like, and I mean, I've worked really hard to brand that as the wild silly band the last like several years. Um, and so that's kind of what we became known as around here. And so then, do, you, do you feel like you're playing stuff in good St. Nathaniel now that you would be unable to play in DNA? Or is this just the fact that, you find some comfort in delivering a certain thing over here and a certain thing over here. Yeah. I think that's more the idea. Like, like I feel like giving people like when I'm doing good St. Nathaniel songs, there's going to be more topics of uh, spirituality more topics of trauma and abuse, more like kind of quiet music. Um, and so I'm really trying to set that aside as like, this is the quiet thing. And, uh, with destroyed and Alan, I could, but like, I mean, we're, we're very much known as the band that like is the wild and crazy band with the bright colors. And, uh, the new good St. Nathaniel stuff is like the opposite of bright color music. Um, and so really tried to like decided that if I was going to have a solo project, I would approach it this way. Um, now, for for older fans, are you cross pollinating in your set lists when you support these uh, live? Uh, I, I have started pulling some of the old Destroying Allen songs into it. Interesting. Um, it's nice. It's nice to have like because they. I mean, that was one of the issues that I think kept prompting the solo project idea is that like 
with Destroyed and Alan, we play like maybe 30, maybe 40 minutes of super extroverted music. And then I have space for two solo songs. But if I wrote 100 solo songs this year, it's yeah. like I, I just don't get to perform them. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's really a space where I can get as quiet as I need to and actually like start to give my the songwriting that I've been doing and the songwriting that I've done in the past, it never really gets to actually step out a space to, to exist. I, I can appreciate that. And it, it seems very similar the way you describe it to when I started making um, that Bears Repeating album on the heels of uh, my group, The Illusionists. Yeah. We, we had Death of a Salesman, and that was kind of like our big moment that we had been pushing for. And at the same time, I felt like I was writing so much and I had so much more to say myself that it didn't make sense for me to use the group as that vehicle, you know, because it needed totally. to be my story, you know. Yeah, I mean, that was really the idea. Like, like there's like, there, I need to have both, at, le at least those two outlets exist in my songwriting. Like, yeah. the band that I think ends up fill in that Andrew WK Aquabats weird space kind of like all the my favorite bands in high school and then the band that's like oh we're gonna get really serious and we might actually cry tonight um but that's okay like Do those like those are such different energies that it, it felt easier to separate them than to try to like weave them into the same show do you feel more productive creatively I mean I, I like to um split my time. I think part of the reason that I am able to be prolific is because I can come out into the studio and I'll pull up a project and go, nah, I'm not really feeling, nah, this one isn't happening today. Um, yeah. And then I can pull up two other records that I'm working on and maybe find something that is clicking that day and, and kind of keep moving. Um, I mean, do you find that or is it just that it's... Um, uh, a, a way to maintain your same creativity, but carving out a different destination. I, I find like uh, an individual songs. Like, I mean, I write, I write a lot like this, this record I've coming out. I mean, I think there was 200 demo ish things for it. Wow. Um, so like, and I, I mean, I'm going through every song and I've got like, I mean, when I'm working on it, I just have a giant table of all these ideas and I'm like, whichever one I have an idea for is the one I gravitate towards. But, um, those were just ideas that I'd written that fit the solo thing. So like when I write songs, I'm just like sorting out like, oh, that idea sounds really cool, but that would be like a good pack of weight out song in the future. Or like, oh, that, that song was, was about cooking. That, that totally is a Destroying Allen song. Like, so I just think of them in terms of like, they're all good. They just go in different boxes for when it's the right season. Yes, I love that. So I just, um, I'm just constantly just sorting songs. So tell me about the new album, Hide No Truth. Yeah. Um, so I think if I ha if Tessa hadn't joined the band, I would probably end up in a similar space to this record. Yeah. Like, like it's kind of circling back to uh, my quiet, intentional songwriting of the, those early records. R run through the lens of like years and years on the road, and years and years of life changes and shifts and breakdowns and all that stuff yeah that all came into the new record so like this this album um probably i mean it could be five years ago i realized that um, my past actually had involved a lot of spiritual abuse hmm. uh which is something that i mean we've we've never agreed theologically so like i don't talk about it a bunch but like um like i i didn't know that 
like in for pretty much the first 30 years of my life i'd been being wounded by people that uh i i shared a faith with so like i just was not aware of how people's actions affected me um and so as i started like kind of working through what that means to like heal uh end up in therapy and just kind of like i mean gosh half these songs are written and like i'm going to my back music room and just like weep um as I worked out like uh, people's cause and effect on myself. Um, is this a, so, like, a situation where you're, you're, you're having to cut ties with, with old friends or, or uh, kind no, of re just reexamine the way that you see the world? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Reexamining is more of it. Cause I mean, almost everybody that I would say I had the like destructive relationship with, I mean, I, I've moved on. I mean, I've moved so much and, and, uh, you know, maybe they stayed in, in Roseburg where I was from or, uh, or we like, you know, lived together in San Francisco for a few years or, I mean, just like different stuff like that. So it wasn't so much of like me having to be like, Oh dude, I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> it was more like, I need to go over here and unpack what the cause and effect of that person, that interaction was in high school. Gotcha. Um, I mean, so like looking back, I'm like, man, there was a lot of, uh, I had a lot of pent up wounding, uh, that, that was really complicated. So like, I mean, it's taken the reason that, I mean, I've been working on this record. I wrote this record first song, nine 11 seems coming up. I wrote the first song on my <laughs> new record at, uh, September 13th. Uh, I don't know. September and September 11th, 2013. Um, okay. I wrote the first song on this record. So like I've been working on it since then. And I think like one of the reasons is like, uh, halfway through the writing process, Tess is like, you need to go to therapy. Um, and I was like, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I need to go to therapy. Uh, because I just didn't know how to unpack um, the, these areas in my life. So like, uh, and then, then I also like, I think the record has a higher production quality than I've ever worked at with before. So yeah. like, we're just like, oh, let's go and have a real, real mastering engineer that's like crazy master. Uh, not, not crazy in a bad way, just like another level. Um, so like all those things would take just longer and longer. And uh, so that's kind of the like impetus behind like, it, it was with the, tr the music material can be heavy enough that I felt like giving the project a name like Good St. Nathaniel would clue people in a little bit that they weren't gonna see the Destroyed and Allen like party show. Yeah. Um, because it was, it can be jarring. Like I've, I literally have a disclaimer with this band, uh, that I, I state before shows. Um, I say like this music involves the processing of, uh, trauma and abuse, particularly of a religious nature. Uh, that might be uncomfortable for you. Uh, it's okay if you step out <laughs> like, but, but people of all backgrounds and beliefs are welcome here. Like feel free yeah. to, like, you're here. But, um, but man, I played a, I played a, played a breakfast show at this music festival and like i don't think anybody knew what was coming and i i mean this stuff can just level you they're just so, crying um, in their oatmeal <laughs> pretty much i'm like oh dang that little kid didn't have any idea what was going to happen i should uh <laughs> <laughs> i should give like a disclaimer to like just give people the right idea and and set this stage um but yeah i mean it really goes back to those earlier songs like i think my fans uh a certain portion of my fans have been like dude why don't you write a quiet record again like i really love to wake up sleeper um and i so mean I, I i'm i'm definitely among them i mean yeah. i uh there's there's something 
you have a certain ability with those really gentle songs that, um, you know, and part of it too is just, I'm not a happy songs guy. I'm not a guy who dances, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, like yeah. A, I'm like an angry, sad song kind of guy. And so, you know, like Take It Easy, that album, uh, man, I mean, just uh, some of that, that really super vulnerable, um, like it's so, in talking about punk rock, like we were earlier, you know, it's the opposite dynamic yeah. But the same intensity somehow. No, totally. You know? I um, and, um so I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. I mean I think it's it's that basically that that quiet, vulnerable, gentle energy, um just really focused on. So like I'm like, well, you know, I can get really, really empathetic, so let's just let that come through. And uh man, this song totally made me weep. So let's just not try to make it sound anything other than a song where I'm crying and breaking down on. I mean, it's scary. I mean, there's been tons of moments. Like every time I release a new single on this record, I have like a mini panic attack. Um, it's just, it's just been a thing. I'm like, oh man, this is hitting close to like home. But uh, it feels. I, like I was going to ask you that. I mean, do you do you feel reservation at all as you're, you know, you complete a song and think, is this too far? You know, because I I have that sometimes. If yeah. I get too too dark, too personal, sometimes I'll think that. Uh yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely moments where I'm like, oh, oh, damn, like that's that's really like, that's really intense. Like there was a song on the record; it didn't make the record, but like when I wrote it, it I basically dry heaved for two hours when oh. I was writing the song. It was just like because it was me verbalizing some of the wounding for the first time, yeah, like to where I like was believing it, and I'm like, oh gosh, that's so heavy. Um, I mean, I I tried to choose the songs that felt like the best songs, not just the the most emotive songs um so like but yeah i think there's definitely moments where like i i mean i'm this record terrifies me uh like when i released the first single better which i'm not like is on the on the scale of the record it's the gent it's the easiest song to go down it's got the most like sugary hook yeah. um and i was like yeah i released it and then i came downstairs and i'm like 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 i came in our kitchen and i poured myself a drink and uh, I'm like shaking, and and Tessa's like I'm like you're just pacing around the house. Like, what <laughs> totally. are they saying? And, and she's like, no, like, and I'm like, what? I'm like, what's going? And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, well, like she's like that song's not that intense. I'm like, well, my brain knows that, but my body doesn't. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. I'm not a for most part of my life, I'm completely straight edge. Like I have like I turn down alcohol like sixty days a year. Um, and I like, I'm like, poured a drink and I'm like, man, this is like, I, I never <laughs> respond this way. Like, like, but it was a whole another level of like vulnerability. Um, so I'm hoping that you'll find what, what I've experienced in that is that whenever I feel uncomfortable with putting myself out there a little too much in a song, that those are the things I get the most emphatic reactions from people, you know, and, and totally. it's the things that people aren't talking about in music that when somebody hears that and goes, Oh man, that like, I understand that. Thank yeah, you yeah. for saying that I needed uh, to hear that, you know, and I'm really hoping that this album is that yeah. for you. I mean, I think it's been like, I've been performing the songs like quietly for a, 
a couple of years now. Um, and so like the response has been enough to be like, okay, this is something I need to do. Like people will, will connect really deeply. I think, I think deeper than anything I've ever done before, like easily. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but it doesn't make it any, any less scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I I appreciate you. I respect you for well, thank you for going there, and um, you know, really always always staying true to yourself and making really honest music. And um, thank you. Yeah, man. I'm. It's been a long time, but uh, I'm still still watching for you out there. I appreciate you <laughs> well, coming on the you. show, man. I I gotta say, like, I I love your new record. I'm like a I really like. I listened to it in my kitchen, and I I was just like super into it. Well, when, thanks, when, man. Yeah, I, I was uh, like, I think, I think it's by far um, the record of yours that I've been the most into. So, I, I feel the same. <laughs> um, I had like, this mentality. I was, I was speaking with uh, Evan from the Illusionist yesterday, and um, you know, I was, I was saying to him that I feel a certain ease this year that I, I never felt before. Yeah, and I think a lot of that was going into this project. Going, I don't know how many years I'm going to be able to afford to keep doing yeah, this yeah. process and, you know, going all in on these albums and whatever. And, and so I really, really wanted to, you know, put myself in this record, but also just make the music I wanted to listen to yeah. and, and make my best work. And when I finished it, I just was like, cool, there it is. <laughs> and, and it wasn't like, okay, we got a book. 50 dates and we got to do this and we got to time the things with the, you know, and it's just like, I got some videos, they're ready. I got, if, if something comes up, I might open for a, a guy, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm good. I'm going to hang out here with my wife and, um, you know, watch, watch Batman cartoons and that's okay. You know, and, and, and there was a certain freedom in, in making that, that music under the guise of like, what if, you got hit by a bus tomorrow. What yeah. would you want to walk away with? You know, and I I really felt that that was the best thing in my ability to to, to make. And so I'm I appreciate yeah. you saying that. Neat. Yeah, it, it's I like it a lot. I'm like, it. Yeah, it hit me well. So good, man. Well, uh, yours will be out here in February. Yeah, February first. Um, um, there's a couple more singles to come before that, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. And uh, people can follow you at Good Saint Nathaniel. Yeah, um, GoodStNathaniel.com, or you look it up online. You'll there's a bunch of stuff. And uh, I I was mistaken in the it was N A T H A N I E L, but it's, it's A E L. A E L. Yeah, A E L. So, but I, I bought the I E L domain just oh, so okay. that people don't get confused. It's like ah, let's all just make it easy on them. <laughs> Smart man. Cool, man. Cool. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really glad we got to connect and talk. Yes, sir. It's been a long time. Yeah, for sure. Have a good one. All right, that is our show. Thank you so much for checking it out. Again, if you are a fan of the interview, I got tons of back episodes. This is episode number 52. So subscribe to the show. Give me that five-star rating. Share the episode to your friends and help me get some visibility here got a lot more up the sleeve we're going to close out with a track from the new album this is the new single lightning by good saint nathaniel
in the darkness when we acknowledge our need when the hurt meets restoration Forgiveness reaches deep When the fallout Is uncountable From the damage we have done Short-sightedness Uninvitedness What have we become? So where no hope is found when silence is the loudest sound With triumphance and resound May your love break forth as the light So tiresome Glad the day is done When I finally close my eyes When there's nothing Then I'm so sorry my actions that show me Your love break for 
the lightning touches. May your love break forth as the light.